Are we ready? Yep. We're ready. The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. Hey guys, don't be a hero, mate. And I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, but the police are coming. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogers. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now cowards. On July 5th, 2012, Cindy Masonwell and her husband, Scott Maitland, flew from Mount Isa to Cairns in far north Queensland to pick up their H.J. Holden Sandman panel van. The couple loved this sweet ride and entrusted a mechanic named Brandon Peter McGowan to restore it to fancy showroom condition at a local workshop. They would never be seen alive again. This is the story of the Sandman panel van murders. Hi, I'm Barney. And I'm Tara. And I'm Cambo, so grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. For this is True Crime on Bloody Murder Island. (laughs) Somewhere there. (laughs) Well done. We're in Melbourne. (laughs) We're thrilled that Cambo's come to Melbourne to record this True Crime Island third birthday special episode with us. And afterwards, we're off to the Retreat Hotel for a meet-up to celebrate the island's birthday. There will be alcoholic beverages. There will, and I'm so happy for this. I mean, Barney, he's a very attractive Mm -hmm. man. And Tara's, she's a genius, apparently. <laughs> this is what happens when we write in, um, we write lines for Cambo to say. They're mostly just about how good we are. Yeah, they're Cambo traps. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron to either Bloody Murder or True Crime Island, Rethink your life choices. No, do it. And then check out our websites or the notes of this show for details. Okay. So, before we get into this episode, which, by the way, was suggested by Craig Frost. Thank you very much, Frosty. Hey. We, yeah, good on him. <laughs> Frosty. Yeah, Frosty. 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 Hey, I think he's got a Sandman. Oh, really? Yeah, you'll have to tell us, Frosty, if you have. Oh, he can but tell I us But I saw a stories. photo the other day, yeah. Anyway, we need to give you a bit of background on what a Holden Sandman panel van is. Picture the 1970s in Australia. You've got bell bottoms, tight T-shirts and acker-dacker going down Swanson Street on the back of a truck singing, It's a long way to the shop if you want a sausage roll. Oh, no, it's not that. No, no that's, sure that's what they said. It's a long way to the top if you want a rock and roll. <laughs> Let's just get Cambo to sing the whole episode. Sounds great. 
Two rambunctious designers, Leo Pruno and Peter Acatapani, they tart up a bog-standard Holden panel van with some stripes, sporty front guards with vents, a sports steering wheel, and a big, flouncy 70s font in the, with the word Sandman screaming, Hey, baby, from across the tailgate. Hot damn, they look sweet, and the few that were made flew out of the showroom floors faster than the rage that plops out of Cambo's mouth. <laughs> Huh. Now, Tara, I know you're not a car woman, so I'll try to describe what it looks like. I already know what it looks like. How could an Aussie of my vintage not know? Okay, then. For our overseas and fetus listeners and Barney. Hey. <laughs> if you can imagine a large sedan, but rather than have the rear doors, it has from the front doors back a cargo space to make it look like a van. So a panel van, Cambo. Yes, handsome <laughs> Barney, but it's so much more. Who wrote this? You, you know, wrote that, didn't you? Yeah, another Cambo trap. Yeah, yeah you, we thought that you'd, you'd just cross out those uh, Cambo traps uh, that we put in there. Anyway, <laughs> yes, handsome Barney, but it's so much more. It had a high roof, so there was plenty of room in the back, and this made it popular with young men and some young women. Rather than being a boring, bog-stock standard commercial vehicle, it was optioned up and a whole culture of customising started as people would fit out the rear compartment with stereos, carpet, you name it, bubble windows even, Mm. and not to mention the mattresses. Hey, baby. (laughs) Hey, baby. They were, and it was the term of the day, so please don't get me the wrong way, but they were chick magnets. So if the (laughs) van was rocking, don't bother knocking. They were sin bins, shagging wagons, if you get my drift. (laughs) It was the sort of thing you would not want pulling up outside your house to take your daughter out in. Or your son, if you were hoping he'd stay pure until marriage. The Sandman that we're talking about today originally belonged to Cindy Masonwell. She called it her dream machine and had been travelling around Australia in it when she met her future husband, Scott Maitland, seven years earlier. Scott's parents must have been so concerned that she'd deflower their son. It's hard to know if it was Cindy's blonde-haired beauty, her larrikin sense of humour or her sweet ride that first caught Scott's eye. Either way, Scott had fallen deeply in love with both of them, and along with his 13-year-old daughter from a prior relationship, Rianne, they were his pride and joy. Over the years, these types of 70s cars, vans and utes have become collector's items. As they've aged, they need restoration. So when 33-year-old Cindy's Holden Sandman panel van needed restoring, she, with the help of her 35-year-old husband, Scott, looked around for someone to do the job. The person they entrusted with the restoration was Brandon Peter McGowan, who worked out of Machete Motors and Cairns. That's a pretty murdery name for a mechanics. McGowan originally ran the business at a group of industrial sheds at Fernley Street, Cairns, then moved to a workshop in Hannum. Cairns is located in far north Queensland. F and Q. F and Q, mate. F and Q, where you going? F and Q. Oh, far north Queensland. Is that what they yeah, call it F&Q, up there? F and Q, mate. All right. <laughs> yeah, mate. Cambo, did you know it's about a 20-hour drive up the coast north of Brisbane or a two-hour flight? For the British listeners, it's like going from Brighton to Edinburgh or Glasgow and back. For rural Canadian listeners, it's like going down the shop for some beer and a pack of smokes. Cindy and Scott were originally from Cairns but moved to Mount Isa in 2010 to make good money working at the mines. 
Scott was employed as an extrata mine welder and Cindy was driving trucks for mining companies. McGowan had done professional work on their cars before and they intended on using the Sandman to transport the bride at a friend's wedding in Cairns in April. So it made sense to take the Sandman to Cairns, get the restoration done there and pick it up on the way to the wedding. Mount Isa is a long way from Cairns. It's a 14-hour drive, but only a two-hour flight. I guess the North American listeners can get their heads around these distances. I mean, I just flew down here to sunny Melbourne. Bullshit, it's fucking cold. Yeah, huh? From Sydney, and it was only one and a half hours. And yes, my arms are tired. No dad jokes, Cambo. That's Barney's job. What? <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> Talking about you, not to you. <laughs> So the Sandman was transported to Cairns in late 2011 from McGowan to start work on it, and he was given $14,000 for the job. That's about $1.5 trillion in bollars, mm-hmm. Barney, yes. What? <laughs> now, Do you even know we're recording a podcast right now? Now, as time went on, Cindy and Scott called McGowan to find out how the restoration was proceeding, and they were getting a little worried about the lack of progress. Eventually, he emailed them some photos of the Sandman after it had been resprayed. But still, the deadline for the job and the wedding were quickly approaching. In mid-April, McGowan told them that the van was finally ready, so Cindy and Scott flew from Mount Isa to Cairns on the 17th to pick up the Sandman and attend the wedding. On arrival, they went to meet McGowan, who told them that he had left the Sandman on a trailer out the front of a mechanic's workshop to get the roadworthy certificate, and it had been stolen that very day. Well, I'm smelling something bad here, Cambo, and it's not your nundies. They smell lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is all pretty fishy, isn't it? It's fishier than Albert Fish making out with a fishmonger at a fish market while Carrie Fisher watches. Sexy. It gets worse. The owner of that workshop admitted that he'd received a call from McGowan saying that he'd left the Sandman out the front, but the owner said he actually never saw it parked out the front at any time. This bullshit going on, hey? Oh, so much Something's fishy Something's going bullshit. on here. Only the following day, McGowan reported the van stolen and gave the police a photo of the Sandman van, the same photo that he'd given Cindy and Scott. The problem was, guys, it was not their van. It was someone else's van of a similar colour. Like so many of us have done on our dating profiles, he downloaded a picture from the internet. Not of Aileen Wernos. I mean, a picture of a Sandman panel van. Um, Anyway, you can imagine how pissed off Cindy and Scott were when they found out that they'd been duped and the pictures they'd been sent were not of the repairs that he'd actually done on their van. He just downloaded it from the internet. On April 23rd, Cindy and Scott took McGowan to a solicitor where a deed was drawn up in which McGowan agreed to obtain and restore a replacement panel van if Cindy's was not recovered. If he failed to do so, Cindy and Scott will be entitled to recover the amount of $30,000 from him. Fair enough. McGowan then paid for their flights back to Mount Isa after the wedding. On April 24th, 2012, in a desperate attempt to recover the couple's pride and joy, Scott posted on the Sandman forum, and this is what he wrote. Hi there, my name is Scott Maitland, and I've had my wife's HJ Sandman stolen on the 18th of April from Kenny Street in Cairns. I've attached a photo so you can see the colour, but in the lighting, it has come out lighter. The colour is the new Holden Green, which is called Poison Ivy. The car is a XX7 built. 
Any info on this precious car, please contact us on email. Thank you. So anyway, this sounds all a bit sus, don't you think, Barney and Tara? Mm-hmm. This McGowan guy, he seems a bit greasy to me. Greasier than a greased-up monkey eating KFC in a deep fryer while watching the musical Grease. <laughs> yes! So you, Rick, you fucking slammed through that in one go. Oh, yeah, you did. We thought that might be a trap. Yeah, another Cambo <laughs> trap. No. That one failed. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in the zone. To recap this whole story, it might be getting a bit confusing here. Anyway, the Sandman just happens to go missing the same day they go to pick it up. And the place it was supposedly dropped off at to get the rego done, they say they never saw it. It's as fishy as fuck. Well, it gets fishier. McGowan finally called police and spun a ludicrous tale about receiving an anonymous phone call about the location of the van. He told the cops that he arranged with the anonymous caller, and that's in my, what are they, inverted quote, uh, air anonymous. Quotes, air quotes. Air quotes. Wanker quotes. he told the cops that he arranged with the anonymous caller for the Sandman to be dropped off at a local panel beaters workshop. Hey, great news for Cindy and Scott. Their van's been found and they can finally bring it home. Now, for these types of vehicles, they are collector's items and the owners love them and they have a strong sentimental bond with them. So for it to go missing like that, it would have been so Fucking upsetting, and to have it back would be such a relief. I mean, I love my 1974 Fairmont XB Coupe Hardtop 351V8. These things you can't easily replace. That's a Mazda, right? Isn't it? Some kind of... <laughs> oh, my God. What? Oh, my God. There's, what there's is it, Cambo? Look, yeah, it is fighting words. You're lucky. You know what? They stick me out in a cupboard in the other side of the room because I'm too fucking loud. Hey, we put you and out. I bleed the, into their mics. We put you out on the on the street if we had a long enough mic cord. But yeah. if I was a little bit closer, I'd slap you, Mister Barney. Well, you're not. <laughs> hey, by the way, he makes sure I'm not close enough to slap him either, because yeah. otherwise, well, he gets slapped a lot. She does so slappable. She throws yes. she throws things at me sometimes. Yeah. So the van was at the panel beaters workshop. McGowan has informed the police the van is now found. But this is where things get a little bit strange. Stranger than Doctor Strange taking the Stranger Things kids to see the movie Doctor Strange Love? Yes, Barney. McGowan had taken the Sandman van to the panel beaters around six months previously and it had actually been there the whole time. So it had never been stolen. It was never parked out the front of the mechanics to get the roadworthy certificate. It had been at the panel beaters the whole damn time. The panel beater had been commissioned by McGowan to respray the Sandman for $16,000, but he hadn't received any of the money, so he'd done very little work on it, and the vehicle had just stood rusting in a corner of his workshop. Cindy and Scott had no idea that this was the case. They only knew that the van had been found and that they could fly to Cairns and pick it up. In fact, McGowan even paid their airfares to Cairns. What could possibly go wrong? Well, this is a true crime story, so plenty of bad shit can and will go down. On July 5th, 2012, Cindy and Scott flew from Mount Isa to Cairns again to pick up the Sandman. They arrived just before 9pm and CCTV footage showed McGowan picking him up in a white Ford Econovan. This wasn't McGowan's van. It was one of his customers who had left it for repair. 
Further CCTV footage showed the van driving through Cairns streets between 9.23pm and 9.27pm. Now this is where things get a little bit ragey, so strap yourselves in, guys. I'm ready. Oh, yeah. The next sighting of the van is by two guys who were drinking in a shed in the same Fernley Street complex in which McGowan had previously had his workshop. I'm not going to use their real names, so let's just call them Jono and Franger. So Jono and Jono and Franger. So Jono and Franger saw the O'Connor van drive past and pull up at one of the sheds. Jono saw the passenger side door open and someone fall out. He said the person who fell out sounded female. Then a man got out of the driver's side, walked around to the woman on the ground and told her to shut up. Franger later told police he saw a man pull a woman out of the car by her arm. She was screaming as he pulled her onto the ground and the witness heard her say, Fuck off! Jono and Franger thought, What the fuck? And asked who, Who's there? What the hell's going on? The man replied that his name was, I'm Brando! And they should keep out of my business! Brando? Oh, the common Australian Queenslander name, Brando. Throw a stone in cans and you'll hit a dozen guys called Brando. I think it might be the most common name in Australia. Yeah, it isn't. Stupid choice, McGowan. To be fair, he might just be a big island of Dr Moreau fan. Well, who isn't? Jono recognised McGowan, who he knew from his business at the Fernley Street Sheds. McGowan physically turned Jono and Franger around and pushed them inside the shed in which they'd been drinking, saying that he'd come back and talk to them later. He then pulled the roller door down. How rude. Jono and Franger then heard some more screaming. Later in court, Jono said he resumed playing his Xbox, stating, Oh, I heard a bit more screaming, so I just turned up the TV. Nice one, Jono. He's no Jason Donovan. That's the opposite of the humble heroics of Jason Donovan. If you see something like this happening, listeners, do something, even if it's just calling the police and reporting it. Don't be like Jono and Franger. Look, just don't be a Jono. Or a Franger. Oh, we try not to be a Franger. But, yeah, <laughs> this, this is just absolutely disgusting behaviour. Yeah, no fucking way, man. About 20 minutes later, Franger heard the van driving away. Curious, but not curious enough or smart enough to call the cops, the two knuckleheads went to where the van had been and noticed two Jim Beam and cola cans on the ground. McGowan loved downing tinnies of Beam and cola. He had a very sophisticated palate. Much like Jason Abercrombie. (laughs) Also, they noticed that the cement around a nearby fire hydrant was soaking wet as if someone had hosed it down and the fire hose reel and drain pipe on the hydrant were damaged. The following day, Jono saw some spatters on the wall near the fire hydrant which looked like blood. Talk about bystander effect and how these losers didn't go and help the woman screaming. What a bunch of asshats! Don't be like Jono and Franger. Don't be a dickhole. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the van leaving the Fernley Street workshops. The O'Connor van was recorded on CCTV driving through Cairns streets at 10.06pm. McGowan's phone pinged the Cairns communication tower at 10.23pm. The next sighting of the O'Connor van was at the entrance gate to Coppolo Dam. It was seen doing a U.E. or a U-turn for the non-Aussies at 11.09pm. After that, 
McGowan's phone pings a tower again at 12.52 in Cairns. Finally, the Econovan was picked up on CCTV, arriving at the Colonial Club car park, Cannon Street, Menanda, in Cairns. McGowan had earlier called a friend, a Mr Curtis, who lived at the Colonial Club, and he asked if he could stay the night. This better not be our mate, Curtis, who caught the train all the way to Sydney for our meet-up in May. Yeah, nah, this is a different Curtis. Okay, yeah, good. Hi, Curtis. Hey. Hey, Curtis. This Curtis noticed some blood stains on McGowan's jacket and jeans. Curtis also later told police that McGowan had a cut hand which was bleeding profusely. Curtis had bandaged the hand and then, at McGowan's request, took his clothes and put them in the bin. Curtis then lent him another set of clothing to wear. McGowan told Curtis that he got into a fight with someone from whom he would not be hearing from again. Curtis noticed blood on McGowan's ear and bruising on his knuckles, and McGowan mentioned to Curtis that he had sore ribs. The next morning, McGowan told Curtis that he wanted the Econovan moved from the street to the back of the Colonial Club car park. He didn't want to drive it himself because he didn't like driving during the day. Is that even a thing? Not for most people, no. Um, He didn't have his licence because it had been removed so many times for driving arrests and violations. So I guess he didn't like driving when people could actually see See him. See him easily. And he's always driving around his customers' cars and stuff. He probably doesn't want them to see him. Yeah, he doesn't want them to see him driving (laughs) their cars around. Oh, it'll be fixed next week, mate. I'm still waiting for parts. He sees it down the Kmart doing shopping. Oh, hey, Bruce. How's the missus? Yeah, it'd be awkward, wouldn't it? When Curtis got into the van, he noticed that there was blood on the passenger side door and he tried to wipe it off. Curtis thought it must have been from the fight McGowan had told him about the night before. McGowan asked Curtis to leave the van there for a couple of days. Curtis then drove McGowan to his workshop, where McGowan returned the borrowed clothes and gave him the keys to the van. He obviously planned to work nude that day, guys, huh? <laughs> I do it all the time. Oh, I'm now. sure. McGowan asked Curtis, I know you are, Barney, and look, Cambo and I'd feel a lot more comfortable if you actually put some pants on, please. No. Okay, then. McGowan asked Curtis to clean the blood off the van door, which he did. Man, what is he, his butler? Anyway, a couple of days later, he opened the sliding door of the van and noticed blood on the passenger side. When driving it back to McGowan's workshop, the gear knob came off and fell under the clutch pedal. Has your knob ever fallen off, Barney? (laughs) Yeah, once, Tara. Mm. When Curtis picked it up, his knob, not mine, it felt sticky to the touch, probably from blood. Oh, God, what have I got myself into here? (laughs) Something dirty and dark, man. (laughs) On July 10th, McGowan decided to get serious about his bleeding van and called up a car detailer and asked if he could hose out all the blood from the back of it as he had carried an injured dog in it. I hope he carried it to a veterinary hospital. No. No, why not? There was no injured dog, Tara. Ah, so the dog was all right. Yeah. (sighs) For fuck's sake. Back to our story, which does not feature any dogs injured or otherwise. Oh, more's the pity. A dog would improve this story. In fact, it would be better if everyone in this story was a dog. Woof! <laughs> now, remember that Cindy and Scott were supposed to go to an engagement party in Cairns. Obviously, it's a different couple to the ones whose wedding they went to in April. Because they used to live in Cairns, the popular pair still had a lot of friends there. Well, their friends became alarmed when they didn't show up. One of these friends called McGowan and asked him if he had seen them. 
McGowan told the friend that he had picked them up from the airport and taken them to the workshop. He then explained to Cindy and Scott's friend that he put number plates from one of his cars onto the unregistered Sandman van and that they headed back to Mount Isa. Did the licence plate say titties? No, Barney. That's your number plate, mate. I know, we'll never give it up. <laughs> Being a better person than Jono and Franger combined, this friend thought something was off and called police to report Cindy and Scott missing. Police contacted McGowan several times over the next few days and he doubled down and told them the same story he told their friend. On July 12, 2012, McGowan gave police a formal statement. Now let's go to some court records, why don't we? <laughs> Rather than my rubbish I write. Well, I can't think of a reason. <laughs> Can you, Tara? Um, no, no, I can't think of any reason. Why not? So, in it, McGowan claimed, this is his formal statement, in it, McGowan claimed that he'd started work on the panel van in mid-February 2011 and had largely completed the job by January 2012. He'd been paid $14,000 for his restoration. In the early hours of April the 18th, he dropped the van off outside the workshop where the roadworthy inspection was to be done. When the workshop owner told him later that the van was not outside his premises, he'd reported the vehicle to police as stolen. About three weeks later, he received some information as to where the panel van could be found and McGowan went to the identified location and found it there, intact but for some scratches. He returned it to his Hannam Street workshop where it stayed until July 5th when Cindy and Scott arrived in Cairns, having arranged to collect the vehicle then. He picked them up from the airport in a Ford sedan, not the Econovan, and drove them to his shed. He said Scott Maitland took some number plates from his swag and put them on the vehicle. Titties. <laughs> McGowan claimed he gave the vehicle's registration papers and an SD card with photos of its restoration to Cindy. Then, apparently, she and Scott drove away in the panel van. He said he went upstairs and watched television until about 11.30pm when he contacted Mr Curtis, who picked him up and took him back to the Colonial Club, where he stayed the night. Police investigated the workshop, where McGowan showed them a silver Ford sedan that he told them he picked Cindy and Scott up from the airport in. The officer noticed scratches on McGowan's arm and on his back. It was probably from still working in the nude, huh? Oh, uh, yeah, you don't work in your car, work on your car in the nude. No, Not that yeah. there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with but that. It but it means that your clothes get dirty and your friend has to throw them away. And you get scratched. Mm-hmm. The next day, police arrested McGowan and had him medically examined. Scratches and lacerations to his hands and arms, as well as a contusion to his right shoulder blade and gravel rash on his right inner knee were found. All his injuries were five to ten days old. Police searched the workshop and found the keys to the Econovan, which they were able to locate parked at a local bank car park. A forensic officer who examined it found bloodstains from projected blood on the interior passenger front door and on the rear passenger side exterior underneath the van on the passenger side and on the ceiling. There were contact bloodstains on the front driver's side door and pooled blood in the driver's side footwell. There were also areas of bloodstains in the cargo section of the van and on the vinyl on the back of the front seats. There was scuffing on the front of the vehicle which was consistent with damage to the fire hydrant at Fernley Street. 
Headrests on the passenger and driver's side and a safety barrier designed to separate the passenger and cargo areas of the vehicle had been removed as part of a planned assault from behind. Mm-hmm. Later in court, it was used to prove premeditation. The front centre seat back had an area of damage where it had been cut by something sharp. There was also damage to the ceiling of the van which indicated that a projectile had been fired from its rear over the top of the passenger side seat. In the rear of the van, a spent twenty-two caliber cartridge was found. So police have an Econovan known to be driven by McGowan and what would be seen to be the actual vehicle he used to pick Cindy and Scott up from the airport. The bloodstains were sent for DNA testing. Cindy and Scott are still missing at this time, as is their Sandman van. On the 14th of July, police located the Sandman van at the panel beater's workshop that McGowan had dropped it off at months before. So, the cops knew that McGowan was lying like a fly with a booger in its eye. They also now know that something really bad has happened to Cindy and Scott. On July 17th, police find Cindy and Scott's bodies in scrub down an embankment on the side of the road near Coppolo Dam, and that's about half an hour's drive out of Cairns. Some of their belongings were scattered nearby. Scott had been killed by a gunshot to the back of the head. The bullet had entered just below the base of his skull and travelled upwards through his brain. A fragment of the bullet was retrieved from within his skull and the coroner stated that he was likely to have been rendered unconscious immediately and to have died within four minutes. Cindy was killed by a stab wound to her upper back between her shoulder blades, which had also severed her spinal column. She might have sustained other stab wounds, but because of the state of decomposition of her body, the pathologist who conducted the autopsy could not be certain. However, the top that she was wearing had four cuts in it, so possibly four stab wounds. Due to the state of decomposition, an autopsy was unable to ascertain if Cindy had been raped either. It's just that the fact that Scott was shot and Cindy's death took longer and it was a more personal attack just makes me wonder if he had some ulterior motive there. Possibly sexual assault, Mm. but there's no evidence of that. It just makes me wonder. The DNA tests from the blood found in the van were consistent with Scott Maitland and Cindy Masonwell's DNA profiles. The spent 22 cartridge found in the back of the van had markings consistent with the remnants of the projectile found in Scott's skull. Witnesses would tell investigators how in the past they'd seen McGowan with a 22 caliber pistol. A live 22 caliber round, also consistent with the spent cartridge, was found in a bag belonging to McGowan at his workshop. So McGowan then changed his story to try to fit what facts were now known. The white Econovan was turned into a white Toyota high-ace van, and he apparently had no idea how the keys to the Econovan turned up in his workshop. When he asked Curtis to give him new clothes, it wasn't because his were covered in blood. Rather, it was because they were dirty from working on cars. He must go through a lot of clothes then, because he's a mechanic. What, does he just wear them once to work and then throw them in the bin? Oh, sorry, wears them once to work, gets a friend to throw them in the bin. That's what I do. And then he works nude for a while. Well, they get a bit grubby. Well, then I guess his body just gets grubby instead. Also, he never did actually work nude. This is something we made up. Podcasting is pretty grubby. That's why I do it in the nude. (laughs) You make it grubby by doing it in the nude. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
The cuts and abrasions on his body were also from working on cars, possibly whilst in the nude. The gun that witnesses said they saw in his possession was actually a cigarette lighter. Well, yeah, I mean, they look so similar, don't they? It's virtually impossible to tell a Bic lighter from a twenty two. McGowan claimed he did not know where the twenty two caliber bullet in his bag came from. He could have picked it up anywhere, guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perhaps magical elves gave it to him as a talisman. Yeah, maybe he lost a tooth and the tooth fairy came and, and put it in its place. Well, if you're going to lie, you need to do better than this. McGowan was charged with two counts of murder. Police concluded that McGowan had accepted the restoration job on Cindy's Sandman van and had been paid up front to do it. He spent the money without doing any work on it at all, and he subbed the job to another panel beater. When he obviously had no way of completing the job, he lied to Cindy and Scott, stringing them along with fake photos of the van's progress. He then told them it had been stolen when they first came to pick it up and entered into an agreement to pay them $30,000 if he could not get it back or replacement. I mean, it's easy to enter these sort of agreements and say you're going to do one thing, but actually doing it's another. Anyway, in desperation, he told them he'd found the van and they again flew to Cairns to pick it up. McGowan picked them up from the airport. In court, McGowan said the couple was angry about the lack of progress he'd made on the panel van restoration. Saying of Cindy, She was yelling that she was pissed off with me because the van hadn't been restored. I told them I wasn't going to do the van anymore. McGowan constantly referred to Scott Maitland as Scotty and said that he was a good mate of his. He said he figured the couple had cracked the shits and gone back to Mount Isa. Yeah. Not long after picking them up, he shot Scott in the back of the head and later beat Cindy and stabbed her in the back. He disposed of their bodies in a ditch near Copperload Dam and created a story saying the couple had picked up the van and had driven back to Mount Isa. During his closing address, McGowan's lawyer, Josh Trevino, told the court, He's a big noter. He's a blowhard. But that doesn't make him a murderer. That he'd kill two people over a panel van quite simply doesn't make sense. But actually, it made a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And McGowan was found guilty on both charges and sentenced to 30 years without parole. A pants on fire liar until the end, McGowan yelled out in the courtroom, Where's the evidence? You mean apart from everywhere? Have you looked everywhere? Have you looked everywhere? Because that's where it is. (laughs) Cindy and Scott's family and friends cheered and wept when the sentence was read. Scott's mother, Marjorie Maitland, said the crime was unforgivable, telling McGowan, I hate you. In sentencing, the trial judge noted that at the time, McGowan's financial position was precarious and he had separated from his wife, which were inciting incidents to make him crack. So he decided to kill him and pretend that they'd driven away in the panel van. The fact that he'd left a trail of incriminating evidence was not the product of a spur-of-the-moment killing, but of McGowan's unintelligent, disorganised thinking and misplaced confidence in his capacity to lie and attempt to deceive others. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like me at work. I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> Cambo's getting hysterical. <laughs> Calm your tits, Cambo. I think we broke Cambo. Is, oh no, we broke Cambo. Again? Oh my god. In a victim impact statement, Scott's mother Marjorie said, "When we finally got the news, Cindy and Scott were dead. We thought our lives had hit a brick wall. 
It was so overwhelming, we couldn't absorb the magnitude of the evil, violent crime. Cindy's stepfather and mother, Terence and Sharon Dexter, said in their statement that her violent murder would haunt them until the day they died. And as far as we can tell, Jono and Franga are still in their shed, drinking and playing video games with the volume turned up real high. Well, what a story. Ah, But there's more. There's always more. Mm. In October 2015, the Queensland Court of Appeal reduced McGowan's 30-year sentence to a minimum sentence of 24 years. So why did he get six years off? Yeah. Well, the court found the first sentence was manifestly excessive as he had no criminal history, which isn't entirely true. Look, you might say it isn't entirely true. I just call it fucking bullshit. He had a list of traffic offences bigger than a baby's fucking arm. On one occasion, he'd been sentenced to three months in prison after breaching a suspended sentence. And on three other occasions, he'd been sentenced to be locked up for six-month periods. What the fuck? But this is just... What makes me so rageful in all these fucking cases is where you get these appeals, oh, yeah, he had this wrong with him, blah, 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 whatever. But we've got to have a look at the families and the victims. What happened to them? They're not getting six extra years of life. No, they're getting six extra years of pain. Absolutely. Well said, Cambo. Keep it going. Boom, fuck longer. I love a Cambo raised attack, don't oh. you? <gasps> 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 Yeah. It's nice to see them live, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> well, it just gives you the shits, doesn't it? Let's go. He's convicted. We all know he's done it. He gets 30 years. What's wrong with 30 years? Oh, no, we'll make For it 24 murders. years. Yeah. You just hope that the fucking parole board give him more than that 24 years. So that's the minimum. You hope they deny him parole year after year after year. Yeah, but also just the fact that he's going to be allowed to apply for parole is going to be a massive nightmare for Cindy and Scott's families because they're going to have to try and get him not paroled. Uh, And also, he does have a criminal history. So, Cambo, what is Ozzy as? Ozzy as a tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. I'm going to need you both to help me out with this one, guys. In fact, if I'm being completely honest, I picked this story just so I could get no. Cambo to say some ridiculous shit. Yeah, like <laughs> Been happening all day. 42-year-old tradie Mike Wilson was mates with a guy called Michael Williams for over 20 years. Mikey and Mazza used to get along like a house on fire, but something happened recently that turned their friendship into more of a blazing inferno at a rubbish dump. Father of four, Mazza, hired Mikey to do some work around his property while he and his family were out of town on holiday. But instead of concentrating on the job at hand, Mikey was concentrating on hand jobs and other things that were not safe for work in the slightest. What dumbass horny Mikey didn't realise is that Mazza had a bunch of security cameras throughout his house. A camera in the lounge room recorded footage of Mikey's white van park- and his white ass. parked out the front of the house <laughs> and sounds of slapping and sex on the sofa because I guess they were high-fiving each other during sex. Top high Gun high-fives! Top Gun high-fives, Cambo! <laughs> then Mikey and his partner in sexy time, a blonde woman, walked out of the house and got into his van and drove off. Mazza said what made the event even more on the nose was that he recognised the blonde as the wife of one of his mates. 
Mazza texted his cuckolded friend some screen grabs saying, Oh, sorry, mate. I think you need to see this. Your wife's been shagging Mike Wilson in my house. Suffice to say, his friend wasn't particularly thrilled by the images or that he's not the only one his wife high-fives during sex. But raunchy tradie Mikey was pissed that Mazza outed his X-rated antics, saying... I'm not a randy handyman who makes a habit of sleeping with other men's wives. I was wrong to have sex with another woman in Michael's house and hold my hands up to that. High five and have apologised. We just got carried away. One thing led to another and we ended up making love on his sofa. Making love? Really? It was making love. I thought making love involved a lot less high fives. You're not just not doing it right. <laughs> Apparently not. He then went on to say... He could have called me when he saw the tape and we could have discussed it in private, man to man, instead of him going to the papers. It was the biggest mistake of my life and my reputation has been ruined. I'm not asking for sympathy, but I've been a near recluse in my house because every time I go out, I get shouted at and abused by strangers. <laughs> I bet they do the you slut that sneeze at him. They do the <laughs> slut sneeze. <laughs> you already know what that's like, don't you? <laughs> so he's going out. He's getting shouted at and abused by strangers. Slut. Now, he says, I'm not proud I slept with another man's wife. Hey, but these things do happen. Sounds like they might happen to him quite regularly, especially if he's got a voice like that one, hey, Cambo. <laughs> now, Mazza told the son. Oh, I was speechless and thought, how low can you get? It's disgusting to do that in someone else's house where children live. My wife, Becca, was in tears, and there was no way we could let our kids sit on the sofa again, so we gave it away. Wow, so kids can't sit on furniture that people have banged on. Is that a thing, Barney? Well, that's why I sold my sofa, because my kids were having sex on it. Uh, well, just <laughs> oh, as, I'm not oh, sitting on that. Just as well I don't have any kids, because they'd have nowhere to sit. Mazza finished off his thoughts on the matter. Mazza finished off his thoughts on the matter by saying, "Mike's not getting a penny. Not now. We need a new sofa." <laughs> Who do you think he gave the sofa to? Someone without children, obviously. Well, someone doesn't care about kids having sex on the sofa. Oh, it wasn't the children that were doing that, Barney. It's There's the stains. laws against that. Oh, maybe it was a white couch. Probably should listen harder. Yeah, maybe sometimes that would be wise. That's a well. This class. Actually, you, you sat me on the sofa today. That's a that's a different sofa. <laughs> My God, this is the final line that you're going to say. This is the Cambay trap. Yeah, it's a Cambay trap. I'm sitting on the sofa. You're sitting on the <laughs> sex oh sofa, but. But it's, what did we say? Where should we put Cambo? Chuck I'm him on the sex sofa. Putting it That's out right. front. <laughs> you know how you were kneeling God. on the floor earlier? Yeah. Barney's had sex there too, oh, so God. pretty much everywhere in the whole house. Yeah, you know that uh, clipboard you're using? No, oh. <laughs> <Hey>. no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know why it's called a pop guard? Pop. <laughs> <laughs> Figured that out the hard way, didn't we? Mm. Well, um, this classiness brings us to the end of this very special True Crime Island Bloody Murder crossover episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank Cambo, who with True Crime Island has brought us much joy and murdery entertainment with his wonderful podcast and ragey, ragey Camboisms. It was my pleasure. Ah, don't touch <laughs> me there in my ear. <laughs> Happy third anniversary, Cambo. Look, thank you, 
everybody for this. This is absolutely amazing. It's bringing tears to my eyes. And what I'd like to say and always say, look, the only reason I still do it is because of the listeners, because the feedback you get from you guys out there listening to this, absolutely fantastic. Other than that, I would have done half a dozen episodes and that would be it. I'd like to thank all the other podcasters too out there that have given me support over the years, and especially when you're starting up, to get another podcaster come at you and say, hey, you're doing all right, or hey, do this a little bit different or something like this or blah, blah, blah. It's absolutely fantastic fantastic i mean when i started this i thought the only six people that would listen to it is me listening to it six times and <laughs> Not it just happened <laughs> it's sort of gone on from there so i'll keep doing it and just a little thing i'll go to the usa to next year hopefully in one of the festivals canada usa so i hope to see some of my friends over there as well that would be awesome. Wow. I was just trying to think of, that was really well said, by the yeah. way, Cambo, but I was trying to think of the reasons why I keep podcasting, and it's mostly just spite and because I hate myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yours was, much, you, yeah. you've got much better reasons. Yeah, he was a lot clearer. Um, I'm uh, Part of why I'm still doing it is because my existence pisses a lot of people off so much, and I'm like, well, if, if like Barney and I will stop podcasting in 35 years, and then, uh, you know, it, there'll be some quiet time, and then I'll be in the nursing home, and I'll be like, shit, Barney, someone just wrote a review about how they can't fucking stand me because I'm a woman who swears and that's worse than being a rapist or a murderer or a pedophile combined. Well, let's get let's get our bloody well, mics that's out right. again, there's, buddy. There's plenty of people that hate your stupid face, but now there's lots of people that <laughs> hate, hate your stupid, stupid voice. voice. I know. <laughs> 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 but it's been such a wonderful honour to have you come down and uh, Melbourne. To come down to Melbourne there, Cambo, and uh, we get to go and drink soon. Yeah, Hooray! we're off to our meetup. Should be fun. Any excuse to come to Melbourne except fuck this cold weather. Oh, I know. Fuck it in a stupid It was good butt. last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Look, it was it good yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I've only got one more thing to say. I've fuck been, off. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. And I'm Camo and this is Bloody Murder on True Crime Island. Goodbye and adios. And boom fagalanga. And keep kicking against the pricks. And don't forget to delete your browser history. Hey, it's Tara. And Barney from Bloody Murder Podcast. We're so excited to be talking about this. Can you believe it? It's been three whole years. It's truly amazing. To think that something can be released into the world and have such a big effect on everybody not only turning a truthful eye on important subjects, but also fostering a large, supportive online community. But that's enough about the cinematic release of Kung Fu Panda 3. Happy third birthday, True Crime Island. Great work, Cambo. Congratulations. It's been wonderful for us to be able to work with you, hang out with you, and go to events together in a pack. And to watch our podcasts grow up together. You're a bloody legend, and we love you, and we're not the only ones. I remember when I first met Cambo, it was 1973. Paul Hogan was the President of Australia and Cambo was a washed up rodeo clown with an addiction to Pez dispensers who lived in a caravan out the back of an abandoned Mazda dealership. I'm quietly confident this story is bullshit, Barney. Well, kind of. <laughs> anyway, let's fast forward to October 2016 when all the magic happened. A big thank you to Jason Abercrombie for coming up with this idea and helping to organise it. Yes, now let's hear from some great podcasters, friends and islanders, starting with Susan McNutt. 
happy birthday to True Crime Island. Third birthday. It's so exciting. Holy moly. Three years. Wow. Has it really been that long? <laughs> Cambo, it's Tyler from the Minds of Madness. And I want to wish you a happy anniversary. You know I was listening to your show before I even started. And it's been awesome getting to know you. You always help us out when we're in a pinch. And it's an honor to call you my friend. So please, put a reserve sign on one of those deck chairs. And of course a beer. Because one day I hope to be able to share it with you. And from everyone over here at Team Madness, happy anniversary, pal. Hey, Cambo, it's Jason, your truck driver, mate. Just like to wish the island a very happy third birthday. It's been awesome working with yourself and the other moderators on the Facebook group over the last couple of years. Nearly at 2,000 members, but yeah, we'll get there. So yeah, just from myself, the other moderators, and everybody at the island, congratulations, and once again, happy third birthday. Keep up the good work, and boom, fuckalunga. Hey there, this is Erica Kelly from Southern Fraud True Crime. Happy third birthday to True Crime Island, and congratulations to my buddy Cambo. Three years is quite an achievement in the sea of true crime podcasts out there these days. Your dedicated fan base in the True Crime Island community is not only passionate, but so much fun. And I want to thank Cambo for being such a generous friend to me when I got started. Podcasters like Cambo set the bar in an already close community. I feel incredibly lucky to have had Cambo's support early on and delighted to call him my friend now. One day soon, I'm going to take the 20-hour flight to Australia so I can go to a meetup and buy Cambo a drink. Until then, cheers to you, Cambo, and to all of your adoring fans. I'm going to be so jealous when I see the photos from True Crime's birthday celebration on the 19th. Well, I'll actually see them on the 18th here with your crazy time zones. I'm convinced everyone there is a time traveler. Have a blast and pour one out for me. Boom fuckalunga. Congratulations on the island's third birthday, Cam. It's been a pleasure sitting on a deck chair downing with these beers while listening to your rage. Wishing you all the best in the future and thank you for introducing the word boomfuckalunga into my household. Cheers, Ange. Hey Cambo, it's Adam here from the UK True Crime Podcast. As you know, I'm a big fan of your show. I love the way you keep it real and say how it is. Just got one bit of advice for you. Stay classy. Hello, this is Adam Shand. I just want to send a very big congratulations to Cambo Ford on the occasion of the third birthday of True Crime Island. Fantastic work. Always love it. And look forward to many more years of this terrific uh, site and podcast. Uh, thanks for your support of Australian Podcasts as well. Well done, Cambo. Cheers, buddy. Hello, Cambo Ford. This is Christy Lee from Canadian True Crime, and I just wanted to wish you a very, very, very happy three-year anniversary at podcasting. We all know the pod fade is real, and it is a huge, huge thing for you to make it this far, and with so many episodes, and with such a dedicated fan base. I remember a couple of years ago when we were both participating in a charity auction for the History Dweebs podcast, and I actually was the highest bidder to win a phone call with you or a Skype call with you. And uh, we're like, yeah, yeah, we'll tee it up. And then we both got so busy that we never actually ended up doing that. <laughs> so I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> uh, we should maybe make some time to do it one day, one day in the next couple of years when we have 
a spare second of free time. <laughs> anyway, boom fuckalunga and have a wonderful anniversary. Hi, Cambo. This is Mike Brown of the Pleasing Terrors podcast, wishing you a happy podcast birthday. Hi, Cambo. This is Ari with Murder Under the Midnight Sun. I've so enjoyed listening to your podcast over the last three years and becoming your friend. I love your show. It gets me filled with indignant rage a lot of the time, but I still enjoy it. And I look forward to several more years of your curse-laden rants and your righteous anger. Happy third anniversary. Love ya. Hey, Cambo, how you doing, man? This is Noel from The Evidence Locker. I want to wish you a happy third birthday to True Crime Island. You're one hell of a bloke, man. And I got one word for you. Boom, motherfucker longer. Happy birthday, man. Hi, this is Sarah Steele from Let's Talk About Sex. But today, let's talk about True Crime Island's birthday. Cambo, you're an incredible support to the independent podcasting community in Australia. And I'm thrilled to help you celebrate your show's third birthday today. Congratulations. Hi, Cambo. It's Steve from the True Crime Fix podcast. I just want to wish True Crime Island a very happy third birthday. Boom, fucker, Lunga. Hey, Cambo. This is Aaron with Generation Y, and I heard your birthday is coming up, so I wanted to wish you a happy birthday and let you know that your podcast is a bright spot. It truly is. There are a lot of voices in podcasting. We have voices of reason. We have voices for victims. And then we have you. And I'm sure criminals, the last thing they want to hear is Cambo's voice telling them like it is. Anyway, happy birthday. I hope it's a good one. Cambo, it's Mark and Faye Leveson here. Congratulations on three great years of True Crime Island. Well done, mate. Happy birthday, happy third birthday, Cambo and True Crime Island. Keep up the good work. Love you. Boom Fagalunga. Mr. Cambo, from all of the serial killers, mass murderers, and festering corpses in London's very own Murder Mile, I'd like to wish you and your fellow islanders a very happy third birthday. Huzzah! To celebrate, why not open a beer? Oh, you already have. Uh, well, Open another one. Oh, you already have. Uh, we'll open a few more then. A few more can't hurt. And have yourself a smashing day. Ta-ta! From Mike on the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast. Cheerio! Hey, this is Stephen from Trace Evidence. And I wanted to say happy birthday to True Crime Island. Cambo, you're consistently producing one of the best true crime pods out there. And if there's anyone in this whole business I'm excited to see hitting such a milestone, it's you. Three years ago, I was still nervous and trying to decide if I even wanted to give this true crime podcast thing a shot. Then I pulled up a deck chair and never looked back. You're definitely one of the major people out there who influenced my decision, and I'm sure the decision of many others to try and get involved. So congratulations on three years, and hopefully someday soon we'll share a drink and celebrate the next three. ก็อยากจะบอกว่าสุขสันต์วันเกิด3ขวบสำหรับเพจ True Crime Island ขอให้เพจนี้มีแฟนเพจติดตามเพิ่มขึ้นเรื่อยๆทุกปีและเธอแกมโบฉันภูมิใจในตัวเธอมากรักเธอนะ Hello this is Kate Happy birthday for three years old for True Crime Island 
I hope it's gonna have more fans to follow this page and you gamble. I'm so proud of you. Love you. Hi, Cam Sanga. I'm gonna regale you with a little song. True Crime Islands, it's your birthday. We're gonna party like it's your birthday. We're gonna drink chai like it's your birthday because boom, fuck along, it's your birthday. Yeah, you can have that. Seriously though, wow. Three years, 95 episodes. Thank you so much for the work that you do and for building this absolutely amazing community on social media. I am so proud and privileged to be part of it and I'm so proud to call you my friend. I've loved absolutely every second of the progression of the podcast, of the island, of all of the conversations that we've had online. It's absolutely amazing and I really hope that you continue with this amazing work that you're doing. Did I mention amazing? Maybe once or twice. Did I mention a glass of wine? Maybe three or four. Seriously. Massive love to you. Massive love to Kate. Jason, get rid of those fucking Florexes, mate. Boom, fuckalunga. Love the island. Mwah. Boom, fuckalunga. Boom, fuckalunga. Boom, fuckalunga. Boom, motherfuckalunga. Boom, fuckalunga. Boom, fuckalunga. Boom, fuckalunga. Well, Cambo, I believe you had another Nundi story for us. Oh, God. Uh-huh. You know we love stories about Look, your uh, genital coverings. As you know, I have wardrobe malfunctions when I come to Melbourne. Yeah, something the, about the trams. They come the, past, your skirt blows <laughs> up, and everyone can see your Nundies. Infamous Nundies moment. And uh, so I was going past Lowe's, and I thought, well, hang on, I'm going to Melbourne again. I'll buy some new Nundies. Or oh, just have a look. Did you see it's a nice bustle in there? It was good. And he put then, it in his hedgerow, so don't be alarmed, though. One of the most amazing things. In the bargain bin, there's a twin pack of Ford Mustang underpants. They've got your name style. on them. And not only that, they're five bucks for two pairs. I just thought, oh, my God, the gods are shining down. So The gods I are gra- always thinking about your, your junk area. Well, yeah, come on. Give me a impressed. break, you know, after these. Wardrobe malfunctions. Anyway, so I grab him. I give him this bloke and he goes, okay, no problem. He scans it because it's got a markdown price of five bucks, normally $29.95. He looks me dead in the eye and he goes, $29.95, mate. And I go, no, it's five bucks. They're in the bargain bin and there's the markdown price. And he goes, no, that's wrong. $29.95. I go, what are you talking about, $29.95? That's five bucks. It's in the bargain bin, mate. Look, there's a sticker. Then he grabs them and starts trying to peel the sticker off. So I'm fighting with him, grabbing the undies back, trying to get this stop him from scratching that $5 sticker <laughs> off. <laughs> in all the commotion, the manager sees us and he comes over. He goes, what's going on? I said, these are in the bargain bin. They're five bucks. And he's trying to charge me $29.95. And he looks at the guy and he goes, no, nah, mate, they'd knock down the price. It's five bucks. Just charge him five bucks. He goes, no, it's $29.95. And I go, no, mate, it's five bucks. Anyway, in the end, I did get them for five bucks, but this guy just did not want to let them go. Oh, the, the manager said, look, sorry about this. 
He's only just started today. And I thought, this is 10 o'clock in the morning. There's a guy who's worked here for one fucking <laughs> one hour, hour and he's fighting me over the bargain bin $5 fucking underpants. Hey, Cambo. I mean, crazy. I, I, I now Are you wearing calm. them now? I've got them on now. I've got the oh, Mustang wow. ones. you got the Mustang and you got the Ford badge ones. They're Did you wear them out of the store? Yeah, of course I fucking did. You know why? Because I said, do you want a bag? Ten cents. He's looking at me going, I'll get ten more fucking cents out of you, mate. Okay, you're not getting ten cents out of me. I'm wearing them out of the shop. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I put them on. I walked out of the shop just like a superhero would. You can have my underpants on his outside. (laughs) You can have my old sword lub lub containers. Here you go. And it just proves to you not all superheroes wear capes. You gotta fight for For your your right. right. So, yeah, I, why do I always have these underpant moments? It's a, it's a question as old as time. Look, the Cambo rage came out in lows yesterday. I'm hey, I've got sure. a story for you, what? Cambo. I've got a story for you. Yeah. You like films, right? I found this film the other day I thought would be awesome, and it was called Midgets on Wheels. Now, I know that's a bad word for it's, it, height-impaired people. They call them... Um, little people. Little people or dwarves, I think they like. Half a Tara. Half a Tara. Anyway, it's about um, little people on motorbikes. They're bikies. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Mm. They probably have little bikes too. Anyway, it turned out it was just a porno of all these um, little people. Were they on roller skates? Uh, skateboards sometimes. There was no motorbikes in it and um, they were just banging these butterface women and it was yuck. But I told my friend Teabagger about it. Uh, Teabag Ruby into that shit, man. And he said, oh, yeah, I really want to see that, Barney. And so I, I put a copy on disc for him and I gave it to him. And then a couple of weeks later, he had a housewarming party. And so I go to this housewarming party and there's about 20 people there and he's playing that film on his TV with people in his lounge room drinking beers and cocktails and stuff. And one by one... Classic the pe- teabagger. Classic teabagger. One by one, people are getting uncomfortable and they're walking yeah. out. And I said, well, you know, maybe this isn't the right time to play that movie. And he, he disagreed with me and he left it on all night. And he said to you, okay, Barney, after the party. He said, hey, baby. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a copy of that film. Did he say, okay, Barney, midget porn party? <laughs> I'd hate to think what your fucking search terms are for that to pop up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Sex on Wheels, everyone's invited. Yeah, True Crime Island. <laughs> I'll uh, just type in Cambo, Nundies, uh, Rage. Um, I just, yeah, it's third birthday. Pineapple on pizza. Pineapple on pizza. Oh and all of a God, sudden all this dwarf pineapple. porn comes up. What, explain that to me, Cambo. I just want to know why they were on wheels. Well, there were some skateboards. Well, I don't think that should really make it into the title. No. Uh, you see, when I was in Vietnam, I had to buy a new pair of shorts. So I go down to the shops and I get some, and they were all right. But the button came off, and so I ended up not really wearing them. Then when I got back to Thailand, I said, oh, "Okay, can you sew the button on, please?" I know that's pretty lame of you. It's not yes. a woman's job. It, it is my job to do this, but hey, I can't do it anyway. <laughs> she puts them back on, and we're going to a family dinner thing, and I said, "I'll wear these shorts," but it's the cut of them. They sort of grip you from behind and push you forward. Oh. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how you're wearing them. It just looks like you're what? Like got a heart on. <laughs> Almost, so, but you're 
well hung. So it's like ah. a push-up bra for your testicles. It is so much. <laughs> so Barney would like to know where he can get some. Oh, I've got to get me some. I wasn't. <laughs> Do they come in calots? I know, but I wasn't allowed to wear them around the children or the or the family. No. So I had to get another pair of shorts. Yeah, a, a pair That's of less flattering shorts. Have you got your nundies with children check done? I have. Yeah, <laughs> I got that many years ago. All right. Yeah, before it became kind of hard to get. Surprise, you passed it. <laughs> oh, that was back in the day. Anyone can pass day. it. Hey, baby, when you're, you're looking a bit tired, you want to come and have a lie down in my panel van? Did you have a panel van? Hey, baby. I had a I had a HK station wagon. Oh, <laughs> close. Yeah. Not close enough. He close. just pops a bat. Uh, he just pops a mattress in the back of every vehicle he's got and calls it a shag. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, I just have a Lilo on the back of my my Bicycle. velocipede. <laughs> <laughs> Not really a chick magnet, though, is it, Barney? Yeah, uh, you know. No. No. No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> Never was. That's what I call my dick. Machete motors, <laughs> and then you try to motorboat people with it and wonder no. why they aren't into it. Cambo's into it. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, but your silence makes he, you He complicit. wrote it down, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it, Barney. <laughs> he does draw the line somewhere, handsome Barney. <laughs> You're getting me drunk, aren't you? You're grooming me again. I am, always. Yeah, you know what? You don't need a lot of help with that, though, do you? No. Nah. You're kind of a bit of a self-starter, really. I'm easy. Hey, baby. <laughs> you are the back of a panel van in human form, Cambo. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother knocking if your Cambo's rocking. Cambo, did you know it's about a 20-hour drive up the coast north of Brisbane or a two-hour flight? Did you know that? Oh, I wrote it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe ask him about other stuff, but he doesn't. Right. Or unless you want him to say yes. Hey, Cambo, how do you like me now? I love you. <laughs> oh, <right>. Hey! <laughs> I didn't yeah. write that bit. Cambo trap, Cambo trap. Did you really use a picture of Aileen Werner as a dating profile picture? Maybe. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, it was attracting the right kind of men, wasn't it? Well, that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, it wasn't because most of them didn't know who she was and they were just like, woo. She Tara's looks all been, right. Tara's been ridden hard and, <laughs> <laughs> ridden hard and put away busted. Is that, hey, what, is that what you wrote? <laughs> Hi, my name's Tara. I've been ridden hard, put away, busted. Do you like my fucking scary murder face? And that's how I met Justin. Um, anyway, you can imagine how pissed off Cindy and Scott were when they found out that they'd been duped and the pictures they'd been sent were not of the repairs that he'd actually done on their van. He just downloaded it from the internet. After jerking off to a picture of Aileen Wernos. <laughs> Oh, come on, we've all done it. I'm doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my real face, Barney. Oh, damn it. Oh, God, you just ruined it for me. Now I have to start again. Cambo, yeah. look at me. <laughs> no, you're going to give me your cum face. I don't want to say it. <laughs> oh, that was bad for even us. Further CCTV <laughs> footage. <laughs> Thanks, Cambo. Further. <laughs> we set traps for him. He doesn't fall a into them, one. and he just gets one. us. Wow, you burp like an eight-year-old girl, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> it wasn't a burp. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, you queef, did you? No, he snorted. Man queef. A man queef. Yeah. Comes out your um, hole. Your cloaca. The prison wallet. 
You Sydney fucker bird person. <laughs> Sydney bird fucker? Fly back to Sydney, you Sydney bird fucker. Yeah, your arm's tied now, you motherfucker. <laughs> Come on, just sleep here. <laughs> Where are we up to? Oh, God, I've Franger lost and it. shit. Yeah. We're down Not the bottom there, of yeah. five. Nah. Anyway, a couple of days butt later. plug. What is it, his butt plug? <laughs> one of those butt plugs that clean your car for you. Get one of those, Cambo. Hey, butt plug, go clean the van. <laughs> Butt plug, that's a good nickname. If call anyone me Barney, wants it. please. No, come on, butt plug. If we couldn't see your butt plug, we wouldn't call you that. So put some pants on and we're all happy. <laughs> all right. And you look very handsome. Thank you. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> so I do that because it makes Barney really shy if you give him a compliment. Uh, Probably because like, I don't normally hot. do it. Normally I just say horrible things. Mm. Yeah. He's pretty hot. Yeah, 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 he's looking good. He's filling out those jorts, isn't he? My eyes are up here, Cambo. <laughs> That's not what I want to look at, mate. He does laugh like Chopper Reed. <laughs> uh, swag. Does everyone know what a swag is? It's a bag. That's another meaning. Is that a swag? It's a swag. Oh, that's yeah, a great it's restaurant. It's a jolly swag. Jolly, jolly Jumbuck Puff. Yeah. Puff the jolly swag man. No, live it's, by it's, the sea. Mr. Sandman. Drink all my tea. <laughs> oh my god! No. God, I'm glad I got through that. That's yeah, a really that long sentence. Yeah, that was fucking chunky and nasty. That was like eating vomit. Oh god, I don't do rum, that. Rum, 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 rum. <laughs> Sorry, I don't do that Tasty. sort of thing. Well, you know, it's hard. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I finished all that stew. Has anyone got any more? <laughs> I could fit in some more vomit. Would you like num, some num, more, num, sweetheart? Num, I can num. get you some. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, Van Club. Yeah, yeah, you want to join Van Club? Van Club. Mm-hmm. Ah. Van Club, Fan Club. Yeah, yeah. No, no minivans. Yum, 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 vomit. <laughs> that was it. We're up to yum, 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 vomit, guys. The front centre seat back had an area of damage where it had been cut by something sharp. My tongue. My wit. <laughs> Barney's butt. My butt, that's right. <laughs> you were going to go there, weren't you? Yeah, sharp <laughs> as a bowling ball. All right. There was also damage... Sandwich, yeah, there was. Hey, when you, <laughs> you want a sandwich? There was some I'm damage. hungry, I want a sandwich. There was also a sandwich <laughs> <laughs> with vomit in it. Yum, 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 yum. Yum? Yum? There was also damage to the ceiling of the van, which indicated that a projectile had been fired from its rear over the top of the passenger side seat. Oh, come on. Do you always shoot things from your rear? You know what? He does. He did outside before, yeah, didn't he? he saw it. I heard it. Went off. What? Boom. Wait. Boom, bugalanga. It's natural. Stop shooting things from your rear. Nah, not projectiles. Not like entire javelins. What? <laughs> it was just a wee pop. It was a javelin. There was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was also damage to the ceiling of the van, which indicated that a projectile had been fired from its rear. <laughs> you can't say it straight face You've now. You fucked it up for me now. It's okay. Get your minds out of the gutters. Hey, hey I'm not even looking at you when you're doing it. I'm covering my eyes with murder bear, okay? You, you, there, you. Oh, I know when you're looking at me, busted. even when I'm not looking at you, all right? He can hear you. You're that loud. I can hear you looking at me with your nundies, <laughs> with your well-supported testicles. <laughs> His balls uh, do not hang low. They're Look, protruding. I appreciate that your junk is well-supported with mm-hmm. those new nundies, yeah. but... 
I don't need it. I don't need you to put it in my face, all right? Yeah, but would you like him yeah. to? I don't need you yeah, to just throw it in my face all the time. It. All right? It's all right. I'm oh, jealous. Yeah. I'm jelly. I'm super jelly. You made the monster. <laughs> the green eyed one. He, he's just sad that his balls are hanging loose and low while yours are all like firm and fruity. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. They do hang low. In fact, you can tie them in a bow. Yeah. Can you um, throw them over your shoulder like a soldier on patrol? Yes. Good to know. <laughs> oh, well, that's that'll be a fun game at the meetup later, won't it? <laughs> it really will, won't it? <laughs> oh, so, God. do you reckon we should all get really smashed and um, become the topic of an Aussie as? Oh God! Again? Again? 